0: Appreciate that very, very much. Do you have an invitation song? Okay, 922 is the song of invitation. 922. Appreciate so much your presence today. I know that we've got a lot of folks that are traveling. It is the holiday weekend, and I guess this is somewhat of the last hurrah for summer. Hard to believe that September is here, and so we want We want everyone to travel safely and get back home very, very soon. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8 in our study together today as we think about God's two laws of pardon. Many, many years ago, the psalmist said, Lord, if you should mark or take note of iniquities, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Aren't you grateful that we have a God who willingly forgives? Great blessings that we have to know that our sins are forgiven. I want us to look at Acts chapter 8 in our study together today as we think about God's two laws of pardon. In Acts chapter 8, we have a record of a great persecution that swept the early church. And Luke tells us that the disciples were scattered abroad with the exception of the apostles. And so in verse 4, Luke said, Those who were scattered went everywhere preaching the word. And then verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them, You recall back in Acts chapter 1, before Jesus ascended to heaven, He told the apostles that they would be witnesses of Him in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And then He said, and to the end of the earth. God's design was that the gospel go into all the world. That's what God purposed, and our goal is to deliver the gospel to a lost and dying world. And so in Acts chapter 8, we have Philip holding what we might call a great gospel meeting in the city of Samaria. And great things happened as a result of his work there. So I want to call your attention, first of all, to the fact that there was preaching in the city of Samaria. Again, verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ to them. Look at verse 12. But when they believed Philip as he preached things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. I want you to think for a moment or two about the message he preached. Luke tells us that he preached first and foremost the Christ. Did you know that Jesus is the focal point of Scripture? You can go back to Genesis chapter 3, the fall of man. And on that occasion, God introduced the promised seed. That would be Jesus. And beginning at that juncture, He began unveiling, unfolding His redemptive plan for lost man. Over and over again, the prophets of old pointed to the coming of the Christ, the Anointed One, Jesus. And then in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we have a confirmation that the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, had indeed come. And so you have the focal point of Scripture, that being Jesus. But then Jesus is also the focal point of salvation, isn't He? Because when we talk about being saved from sin, without Jesus we would be lost, wouldn't we? Do you remember Jesus in Luke chapter 19, verse 10? He said, The Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost the lord jesus came to earth for the purpose of saving us from sin i have no doubt in my mind that philip would have had opportunity to share a lot of things about jesus the fact that he was god incarnate that is the very son of god that jesus was and is the only one who can save back in Chapter 4, Peter and John said, Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven given among men, whereby you must be saved. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So here is Philip having the opportunity to share with the Samaritan people the gospel. Now, the Samaritans were despised people, weren't they? John tells us in chapter 4, the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans; they viewed them as half-breeds. The Jews didn't like the Gentiles either; they viewed them as dogs. And yet, here we have—we have a great account of Jesus being preached. Not only did—not only did Philip preach Christ, but he preached about the Church of Christ. Now, you might ask the question, how do you know that? Well, drop down and look at verse 12 again. The Bible says, when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of God here is the church. It's the same kingdom that Daniel, centuries earlier, had foretold of. You remember Daniel when he interpreted that great dream of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon? Daniel had the opportunity to tell Nebuchadnezzar that four world empires would rise and fall, beginning with Babylon, the very kingdom that he was serving as king. And he said, in effect, that Babylon would ultimately give way to the Medes and the Persians. Later, the Medo-Persian Empire would fall to the Grecian Empire. And then the Grecian Empire would give way to the Roman Empire. And so, Daniel could say, in the days of these kings, that is, in the days of the Roman kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And so, here, Philip is preaching about the church. You see, the church is the blood-bought body of Christ, isn't it? We talk about the person of salvation, and then we think about the place of salvation. That would be in Christ. And you can't dissect the church from Christ, because Christ is the head, the church is the body. He's the good shepherd, we're the sheep, etc. So, Philip presented unto them Jesus. He preached Christ, he preached about the church of Christ. But then note if you would, Luke tells us about the miracles that he performed. Note if you would, in verse 6, The multitudes with one accord, heeded the things spoken by Philip hearing and seeing the miracles which He did for unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed and many who were paralyzed and lame, and the lame were healed. Why do you think miracles were performed in Samaria? Do you recall back in in Mark chapter 16 when Jesus gave the Great Commission? When he said You go into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature. And then he talked about how they went forth preaching the word. And the Lord worked with them confirming the word through accompanying signs. The signs, the miracles that Philip performed really authenticated the message, didn't it? So I think about the fact that first and foremost there was preaching in the city of Samaria. But secondly, there was persuasiveness in the city of Samaria. First, we need to understand that the people in Samaria, they were receptive to the gospel. Listen again, if you would. Note, if you would, verse 6. Multitudes with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. Drop down look at verse 12 again. But when they believed Philip as he preached. Let me just pause there for a moment or two. How important is belief in Christ? Remember what Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins, John 8, verse 24. And didn't Jesus say that if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come? These people believed in Christ. They understood that it was absolutely essential to put their faith and trust in Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not only did they believe in Christ, but the Bible tells us they were baptized into Christ. Look at verse 12 again. They believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Now listen, both men and women were baptized. Why were they baptized? I mean, they believed in Christ, but why were they baptized? Well, do you recall on Pentecost Day when... The Apostle Peter and the other apostles preached the first gospel sermon, and the Bible tells us that those who were present on that occasion they were cut to the heart. God's word pricked their hearts, and so they cried out and asked, "What shall we do?" Here is what Peter said: "Repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins." In other words, for forgiveness. Now Jesus had earlier said, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be condemned, Mark 16, 16. So think about it. Jesus said that those who believe and are baptized are saved, aren't they? Peter said that we are to repent and be baptized so that our sins can be forgiven. Saul, when he recounted his conversion story, we know him as Paul. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16... Paul said that he was instructed by Ananias to arise and be baptized and wash away his sins, calling on the name of the Lord. So what did these people do? Well, first, they believed in Christ. Secondly, they were baptized into Christ. Now I want you to see something very quickly. A little bit later, we're going to read about Philip preaching the gospel to a eunuch. This eunuch was a man of great importance. He was a treasurer to the queen, Candace. He lived in Ethiopia. He had been to Jerusalem to worship God. I think he was a proselyte to the Jewish religion. He's on his way back home. He's reading Isaiah chapter 53 about the suffering servant. When Philip encountered him, he asked a question, and this man said, How can I accept some man guide me? The Bible tells us, that Philip, beginning with that same scripture, Isaiah chapter 53, preached unto him Jesus. Now, if you look at the text, Luke said, When they came to certain water, the eunuch asked, he said, See, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? Not one word in the text about Philip preaching baptism. But I know that it did because to preach Jesus, to preach the man is to preach the plan, isn't it? If you're going to tell somebody about the person of salvation, don't you think you need to tell somebody about the plan of salvation, God's divine plan to save people? So Philip preach baptism to these people. Why preach baptism? Well, because as Jesus said, when we believe and are baptized, we're saved. Because Peter said when we are baptized into Christ, we enjoy the remission, the forgiveness of sins. Because Paul said when we're baptized, we enjoy the washing away of sins. But there's something else. Not only did they believe in Christ, not only were they baptized into Christ, but they were added to the body of Christ. Well, how do I know that? Well, listen again to verse 12. When they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized. When these people obeyed the gospel of Christ, God added them to the church. Do you recall in Acts chapter 2, some 3,000 people obeyed the gospel on Pentecost Day. In verse 47, Luke said, And the Lord added to the church those who were being saved. Well, who did the adding? God did. Well, what did He add them to? He added them to the church, to the kingdom of God. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul said, Giving thanks unto the Father, who has qualified us, or made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light who has delivered us out of the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. And He said, It's in that sphere that we enjoy redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace. Now, how many times have you heard somebody say, I just want to live for Jesus. I want to have a relationship with Jesus, but I'm not interested in that quote-unquote church stuff. Look, you can't have a, re- a relationship with the Lord without being in the church. Because to be in Christ is to be in the church of Christ. Well, somebody asked the question, how do you know that? Do you remember in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13? Paul said, by one spirit were you all baptized into one body. What's the body? He's the head of the body of the church, Colossians 1.18. So when we're baptized into Christ, God puts us in the church. Well, why do I need to be a member of the church? How many times have you heard somebody say, why in the world would I need to be a member of the church that I read about in the Bible? Well, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, Paul said, speaking of Jesus, that He is the Savior of the body. So where are the saved? In the church? Well, I thought the saved were in Christ. They are. But to be in Christ is to be in the church. Paul placed salvation in Christ Jesus, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 10. The only way to get into Christ is to be baptized into Christ. When we're baptized into Christ, guess what? We contact the blood of Christ. You can't be saved without the blood of Christ. Listen again to what Paul said, verse 14, Colossians 1. He said, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. When we are baptized into Christ, we contact the blood And only the blood can wash away our sins." Now, you remember what the psalmist said? But there is forgiveness with you, O God. God has devised a plan whereby we can be saved, hasn't He? We talk about God's two laws of pardon. The first law of pardon is to what we would call the alien sinner, somebody who has never obeyed the gospel. The Bible says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Sin is defined as a transgression of the law, 1 John 3, verse 4. So in order to appropriate the blood of Christ, which cleanses us from all sin, we have to be baptized into Christ. That's why Philip preached baptism. That's why men and women were baptized in the city of Samaria, because they needed a Savior. They needed to contact the blood of Christ. Where was the blood shed? John tells us in John chapter 19, verses 34 and 35, Jesus shed His blood in death. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 6 verse 3 said, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ Jesus, listen to Him, were baptized into His death. You see, when you die to the love and the practice of sin, by being baptized into Christ, repenting of your sins, you contact the blood of Christ, and John said unto Him who loved us and washed us from our sins by His own blood. Paul in Ephesians 1 verse 7, Said, in him we enjoy redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So think about it. These people, number one, they believed in Christ. Number two, they were baptized into Christ. Number three, they contacted the blood of Christ and they were added to the body of Christ. Well, why did they need to be in the body? Because, as I said a moment ago, Jesus is the Savior of the body. There are no saved people outside the body of Christ. And the only way to be saved is to be in the body, to be in Christ. Well, how do I get into Christ? I'm baptized into Christ. When I'm baptized into Christ, I'm placed in the body of Christ. And then the exhortation, be faithful until death. Well, how many bodies are there? The Bible says there is one body and one spirit, even as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and in you all. They're just one body. And the body's the church. So that means to be saved, I've got to be in Christ, and I have to be in the church of Christ. And when I use that expression, the church of Christ, I'm talking about the church that belongs to Christ. You remember Matthew chapter 16, verse 18? When Jesus said, I will build my church, it belongs to the Lord, not my church. The church is the blood bought body of Jesus. God planned for the church, Ephesians 3 9 through 11, before he ever laid the foundation of the world. God planned the church. He prophesied about the church. God in heaven designed that preaching would be done about the church. John the Baptist preached, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached about the church. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And so we preach about the church today because Christ and the church are imperative in salvation. So, first, the Bible tells us these people were receptive to the gospel. Not only were they receptive to the gospel, but they rejoiced over the gospel. Why were these people so happy? Well, Number one, because there was healing. Back up if you would again. And note if you would, verse 7. In verse 6, the Bible talks about the miracles which Philip did. In verse 7, the Bible says, For unclean spirits, crying with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many who were paralyzed and lame were healed. So first, there was physical healing that took place in the city of Samaria. You think about some of the people there that had illness, disease, whose lives were wrecked by pain and suffering. They were healed. Don't you know that that was cause for great rejoicing? But more importantly, not only was there physical healing, but there was spiritual healing. Well, how do I know that? Again, look at verse 12. When they believed Philip, as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were what? They were baptized. When they were baptized, all of their sins washed away. Spiritually speaking, they were healed, weren't they? You see, outside of Christ, we have no relationship with God. In Christ, we enjoy a tremendous relationship with the Lord. So, these people rejoiced over the gospel because there was great healing, and secondly, because they had hope. These people became rich in Christ Jesus. If you're not a Christian, whether you realize it or not, and listen, you might have a lot of money in the bank, you might have a lot of land, many, many assets, but if you're not in Christ, you're really not rich. There are folks in our world today, they have everything, but really they don't have anything, do they? Because they don't have Christ. Paul in Ephesians 1-7 said, "...in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of His grace." Look, if you're a child of God, you enjoy every single spiritual blessing known to man, Ephesians 1-3. You've been pardoned by sin, you enjoy the peace of God, you have the presence of God in your life, you have the privilege of prayer to God. You have the promises of God, all of these great blessings in Christ. So here's Philip. He's down in the city of Samaria, and he's preaching Christ to these people. He's preaching about the church of Christ. And these folks, they rejoiced because of being healed and because of the hope. How many people in our world today, if you were to ask them, do you have hope for the future? would say no. The Bible says that without Christ, we have no hope, and we're without God in this world. Ever been in a situation that's just hopeless? It's bleak? There have been occasions in days gone by when people have been in the hospital, and they have battled a terminal illness. And the doctor has told the family, there's no hope. We've done all that we can do. Well, outside of Christ, no hope. That's what Paul said. The difference maker is Jesus. Ephesians 2, verse 13, Paul said, But now in Christ Jesus, you that once were far off are made near by the blood of Christ. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, listen if you would to what Jesus said many, many years ago, or Luke chapter 10, verse 20. He said, Rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. You think about knowing that your name is recorded in the Lamb's book of life. Do you remember in the book of Revelation in chapter 20, when John said, I saw the dead, the small and great standing before God? And he said, The books were opened. And then he said, Another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of the things which were written in the books. On the final day of judgment, God is going to open the book of all books. That's the Bible. Isn't it? We're going to be judged on the basis of the law of Christ, Galatians 6.2. We're also going to stand before God, and on that great and final day, He's going to open another book, the book of life. And when He opens that great book of life, the question is, will your name be there? Jesus said... To his apostles, rejoice. Why? Because your names are written in heaven. You think about knowing that your name is recorded in the Lamb's Book of Life. That if you were to leave here tonight, step out into eternity, you would be in the presence of God. As Paul said, "To live is Christ, to die is gain." To depart and be with Christ far better. To know that you're in the very presence of Almighty God. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see. First, there was preaching in the city of Samaria. Secondly, there was persuasiveness in the city of Samaria. But then thirdly, there was a problem in Samaria. There was a problem in the city of Samaria. I want you to begin with me and note what is said in verse 13. Then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip. And was amazed, seeing the miracles and signs which were done. Now let me just pause there. First, about this fellow by the name of Simon. What Luke's going to say is he develops what we would call a heart problem. And so Luke speaks of his reputation. Go back and look at verse 9 very quickly. Luke identifies his occupation. He talks about his adoration and his fixation. Look at verse 9. There was a certain man called Simon who previously practiced sorcery in the city and astonished the people of Samaria, claiming that he was someone great, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the great power of God. And they heeded him because he had astonished them with his sorceries for a long time. He was involved in what we would call black magic, wasn't he? Now, the apostles are going to come down to Samaria. Drop down, note if you would. Verse 14. When the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who, when they had come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says, For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So the apostles laid hands on certain individuals in the city of Samaria. Through the laying on of hands, obviously these people had the ability to perform miracles. Well, Simon saw that. And when he saw it, he offered the apostles money. Look at verse 19. He said, Give me this power that, give me this power also that on anyone, whom I lay hands, that they may receive the Holy Spirit. Now I want you to note the refutation of Simon. Peter said to him, Your money perished with you, because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Now think about that. Here was a fellow in Samaria... He heard Philip preaching. He was baptized into Christ. He contacted the blood of Christ, added to the body of Christ. He was a member of the the Lord's church, wasn't he? But he developed what we would call a heart problem. And so, listen if you would to verse 22. Peter said, Repent, therefore, of your wickedness, and pray God if perhaps the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. Look. Simon didn't need to be baptized again. He had already been baptized into Christ. What he needed to do was repent, acknowledge his wrongdoing, and God would do what? Forgive him. God's second law of pardon. So look, if you would, at verse 23. Peter said, I see that you're poisoned by bitterness, bound by iniquity. And Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. let me just pause there for a minute. Aren't you glad that God is a God of second chances? Aren't you grateful that as a child of God, after having been baptized into Christ, if for whatever reason you transgress the will of God, you go back into a life of sin, that God will take you back, that God will forgive you? You remember John said if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I talked to an individual not long ago that got his life so messed up. You you just would not believe what a mess this guy made of his life. Destroyed his family, destroyed his home, destroyed his career. Made a mess of his life. At some point in time, years later, that light went off. He, like the prodigal son, came to himself and he said, You know what? I need to get it right. And so he acknowledged his wrongdoing. He asked the church to pray for him. He was forgiven, restored to fellowship. God will forgive. God will take people back, won't He? Now, sometimes as faithful Christians, we make mistakes, don't we? And there are times when we say things that we shouldn't say. There are times when maybe we do things we shouldn't do. And in recognition of what we do or what we have done, we need God's forgiveness, don't we? Now the Bible says if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. So as we live in harmony with the will of God, God's cleansing blood always at work in our lives. When we realize that we have messed up when we've sinned, we can acknowledge that sin, ask God to forgive us, and He will do so, won't He? Remember 1 John 1, verse 9, God is faithful. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Look, Simon made a terrible mistake, but there was the opportunity for him to get it right. I know sometimes folks get caught up in a life of sin, and they have been members of the body of Christ for years and years. And they get back out in the world, and sometimes it's really, really, really tough to come back out of the world. Not impossible, but it can be tough. And there are times when folks whose lives have been marred by sin wonder, will God take me back? The answer is yes. Sometimes they wonder, will members of the church, will they receive me back as a restored brother or sister in Christ? The answer is yes. Sometimes folks are reluctant to come forward because they're worried about what people are going to think. Look, when people come forward, I'm not thinking about what's been done. I'm just thinking about as a family. We have the privilege and the right to pray for one another, don't we? We have the right to go before the throne of God, to ask for His favor, His forgiveness, His blessings, and guess what? He does that. So when people come forward, I'm not thinking, oh, what a bad person, or what has he, or what has she done? No, no, no. I'm just grateful that that light went off. And somebody says, you know what? I need to get it right. God's two laws of pardon for the alien sinner, for what we would call apostate saints, and to those of us who are striving to the best of our ability to walk in the light when we stumble and fall, we know when we ask God to forgive us that He does so. So if you're here today and you're not a member of the body of Christ, it's really very simple to become a Christian, just do what they did, believe in Christ be baptized into Christ, contact the blood of Christ, be added to the body of Christ, and you're well on your way to heaven. And you'll live in hope of life eternal, which God, who cannot lie, promised before the world began. If you're here today, and you need God's second law of pardon in your life, let me tell you what, we are here to help you, to pray with you, to encourage you, as we stand and sing.